Hello, my name is Tom Mason. I am one of the elders here at Christ Community Church, and we are doing a summer of Psalms. So today we will be sharing with you Psalm 13, and our purpose in sharing these Psalms is to help us as Christians learn to apply what was written almost 3,000 years ago to our lives today as we live out this Christian life we have been called to. So as we get started, let's pray and ask God's direction upon us. Father, we do thank you for your great grace toward us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Father, we just ask that you would guide us in our time tonight, that we might honor you in all that we do. As we look over these Psalms, help us to be faithful to what it is that you have written and how it is that we might convey that to uh, the church and those beyond the church. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 13 is where we will start tonight. I'm going to this Psalm. I've gone to this Psalm many times because over the years as I have come across uh, perplexities in my life, I was able to look at David and see how David would ask these questions. How long, O Lord? And then see him being led to a point of clarity that would bring him to prayer as he thought about what Christ God had done for him in years gone by. So when I see that, then that led him to praise the Lord. So then this gives me an example that I uh, can follow. So tonight as we examine Psalm 13, what lessons are there for us now? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrows in my heart all the days? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And my enemies say, I have overcome him and my adversary will rejoice, and I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. I call our talk for tonight from perplexity to praise. I am one of those who love to ask questions. Questions can help us to uh, receive information when we're trying to learn something new. Sometimes questions can be used to be able to inquire more about this thing that we're asking about. A question also can be used to cast doubt. If you will remember the very first question ever asked in the Bible was asked by Satan. And he asked Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1b, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? That was him casting doubt on what it is that God had said to the two people that he has made. Then there are the questions that are accusations. They ask the question like it is a true statement is actually is not true, it's false, so it becomes an accusation. And then we have the question that is asked as a statement of fact. 
We see Jesus asking this question in Matthew 27, 46b. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Had God forsaken him? Yes. For those short three hours that he hung on the cross bearing the burden of our sin, God is holy and cannot even look on sin. Therefore, he couldn't even look on his own son when he's bearing our sin, even though his son had no sin of his own. So he cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? In these first two verses of, verse, of chapter 13, uh, they are questions of how long? How long, O God, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Here are questions that David had. And in these questions, David assumed that God had forgotten him, had hidden his face from him, had no counsel for him, and had allowed his enemies to be exalted over him. What deep depression David must have been in. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher of years ago, said, There's no special event or place in David's life that we can put this psalm. He says it's a psalm of lament. Now, to lament means to mourn over something that is going on or something you happen in your life. There are times when our lamenting brings us self-pity and which takes our mind away from what we know about God. Let's take a look at what David had wrote earlier about his God. In Psalm 3, David said, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance of him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are the one who is my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I woke, for the Lord sustained me. I would not be afraid of ten thousand of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me. O oh my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered their teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be upon your people. Now, all through this psalm, David is assured of what God has done for him. As Psalm 3 was written, he could talk about, you are the God who lifts up my head. Well, you can't be abandoned from God if he's lifting up your head. He says, I laid down to sleep and I was able to sleep soundly because you have sustained me. So these are the things he actually knew about God. But then when he comes to verse for chapter 13, he had a time here that he was asking questions. Now, as you read through the Psalms and see some of the things that David wrote in Psalm 35, 17 and 18, shows us again, David asked the same question, how long? Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages. 
my only life from the lions. He says, Lord, I only have one life, so rescue it from the lions. Then he says, I will give thanks in the great congregation, and I will praise you among the mighty thorns. Now, when he talks about uh, he's going to praise him in the great congregation, the great congregation of Israel, but when he says the thorns of people, these are the crowds. These are the people on the outside. He's going to bring praises to both the people of God and to the people who, who are on the outside. Now, when we look at the next three verses in uh, Psalm 13, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And my enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I have been shaken. No longer is he questioning God, whom he had forgotten him. He is now making a request to his God, whom he know can hear him and answer him. So what is his request? He says, consider. The word consider means to pay attention. Pay attention to what it is that I am doing. Then he says, after paying attention, then answer me, O God, or supply me with the things that you see that I need, not based on my wants, but the things that I need. And when he, he, he prays this, he is looking to God for God to deliver him. What changes prayer can bring about? Then he says, O my God, Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the seat of death. And my enemy says, I have overcome him. This word enlighten means to bring light to. David wants to be able to see from the light that God provides for him, that then he might understand what is going on in his life. He says, Enlighten mine eyes, lest I might sleep the sleep of death. David does not want to die in this condition that he's in. He wanted to be able to bring praises to God, so he asked him to do this, and then he gives a reason. He says, if I do that, then my enemies will say I have overcome him, and my adversary will rejoice when I am shaken. David had written earlier that there is no one who will praise you from the grave. In Psalm 6, verses 4 and 5, he says, Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness, for there is no one to mention you in death, and she all who will give thanks. David wanted to be delivered right now so he could give thanks to the congregation. He could give thanks to those on the outside. This is the life that he wanted to live. So he makes this prayer request. Now he is gotten in touch with God, and so then he comes forth with praise from perplexity to praise. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully uh, with me. I have trusted. It means to have confidence in or to trust in and rely upon. So David says, but, now whenever we see that, we have to take note that a change is coming. No longer the how long question, but now the praise come. But I have trusted 
in your loving kindness, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing because you have dealt bountifully with me. When we see this word, trusted in your loving kindness, the Hebrew word is the word that we get our, our English word mercy from. It means loyal. It means steadfast or faithful love and stresses the idea of belonging to a relationship. So David understood he was in a relationship with the Lord, and therefore he says, I have trusted in your loving kindness. When we look at other uses of this word, uh, mercy or loving kindness, we look at uh, Hosea chapter 2 and verse 19. And here Israel has walked away from God, and God is making a plea through Hosea for them to come back. And he says, I will be, be betrothed you forever. He says, I will be yours forever. I will betroth myself to you forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and compassion, or in mercy and compassion. Israel is walking away from God, but he won't give the plea to them that they would come back to him. And he says, I will do this out of mercy, and I will do this out of compassion for you. So when David says, but I have trusted in your loving kindness, David knew over the years that it was God's loving kindness, God's mercy that brought him from where he was as the shepherd boy, now as king of, of Israel. And so he shares this. And then in Micah 6, 8, God tells us what he wants of his people. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindly, and to walk humbly with our God. He says you are to do mercy and to love kindness. That's that word mercy again. God requires that of us, his believers, that we would be those who would show mercy to others. As we walk, as we do the things that God has called us to do, we're going to do justice and we're going to love kindness and walk humbly with our God. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, David says. He says, I know you are my deliverer. That salvation, that word salvation, it means a deliverer. David said, I will rejoice because I know who my deliverer is. I know that he lives. I know that he has my best good in heart. And if when we see this, then that gives us courage that we can rely upon the one who has granted us this great salvation. And one day he will deliver us out of all of this chaos that we see on earth. And he will take us home to be with him in heaven. Then he says, I will sing because you have dealt bountifully with me. When you're asking the how questions, it's difficult to sing. But when you come through and recognize what God has done, you pray to God and ask him to deliver you, to grant you what is best for you based on what he has for us. Then you can sing. He says, I will sing. 
when you see that word singing because he has done bountifully with him. All David had to do is look back over his life. All you and I have to do is look back over our lives and see the many times that God has blessed us, the many times that God has taken us through those times that we face right here on earth. And then we then sing for joy because we know what he has brought to us. I remember particularly a time in my life that was really, really dark, really, really dark. And I remember this song that says there is um, nothing that has happened to me on earth that heaven cannot heal. And I just picked up my hymn book and started walking through the house and singing that hymn. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Because of what? I knew what God had brought me from. And I knew that he then could carry me through all of this. So at the beginning of our time, we talked about our purpose is to help us to understand how to use the song to live out our daily lives, even though we're reading something that's 3,000 years old. So let's go back to the top of the psalm, what I did not mention as we started. When you look at Psalm 13, it says, For the choir director, a psalm of David. Now that portion is also inspired scripture. That's not just something that the psalmist wrote down or uh, the interpreters came along later on and added. That's actually what God inspired him to write. For the choir director, some of your Bible might say for the chief musician, a psalm of David. So it's telling us from the Spirit of God who wrote this. And it's telling us what he had in mind when he did this. Again, Charles Spurgeon tells us that when this inscription would be there, it was a guarantee that this song was to be sung in the congregation, that they would come together as a group and they would praise God. So why particular would he want Psalm 13 read? Because everybody goes through difficulties. And that in those difficulties, then we are all to turn to prayer. And then when we turn to prayer, then we can then be led into praise and come forth with that by rejoicing. And that's what he's bringing to us. When we read Psalm 6, it, we, we didn't read that, but it did say that. It said, a Psalm of David. So we know David read that, wrote that. When we read Psalm 3, David wrote that because the scripture tells us that he wrote that. As a matter of fact, when we are in Russia, especially when we go to the Psalms, the Russian Bible has this caption as part of verse 1. And as the caption gets longer, they may even take the caption and make it verse 1, and then what we would have as verse 1 would then be verse 2 for them. For, for example, Psalm 51 would be one that would do that. So how do we apply this to today's life? With everything that's going on around us today, we see people asking for what? We want reform. And you know what I tell them? I hope you get all the reforms that you can get. But I want to share with them that there is a point that these, these reforms that you're going to get ends. It will either end at death or it will end when another reform come along to replace that. So I'm wanting for you not just a reform, but a transformation. Because, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his own soul? 
So if they go out and get every reform they want, live a hundred years under those reforms, and die and go to hell, what has it profited them? Absolutely nothing. So we want to be able to share with them that there is a transformation that takes us all beyond the grave. And yes, all of us are going beyond the grave into a place that is called eternity. And when we enter eternity, there is no second chances, there is no coming back, and there's only two places to spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 5, says, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I would give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost. And he who comes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the coward, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderer, the immoral person, the sorcerer, the idolater, and all liars, they will have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. This is the second death. Second death, second separation. That's what death means. We are born separated from God because we are born in sin, and our sins separate us from God. We have a choice, though, as we grow up, then this great gospel is presented to us, and we have an opportunity to either accept the gospel or to reject the gospel. If we reject that gospel and we die in that condition, then we meet the second death or the second separation, and that one is for eternity. There's a saying that we use sometimes, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. So if I have been born in the sin, then I have been born again through this great gospel that is preached to me. Then I will only die one time, and that's when I leave this earth and go to heaven. But if you have never made that decision, you'll be born in the sin, separated from God, and then you will die the second death. You will enter into that second separation, which is for eternity. And don't let anybody fool you. Eternity is forever. And how long is forever? It's forever. And that's what you and I must do. As a believer, then we must be here to either bring others to Christ or to grow them in Christ. So when we see people, we want to take that opportunity that we might be able to present to them the gospel of Christ. So yes, there are times in our lives, even as Christians, we may ask, how long? But the genuine Christian will always come back and will always say, Lord, give to me those things that you know that I stand in need of. And Lord, I will praise you for those things because you have dealt bountifully with me all the days of my life. We're not forgetting that. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart. But David had uh, 
some issues that he would come and say, How long, O Lord? Job. God said of Job that there was none in the earth like him. But even Job had some questions. But you know what? God didn't cast either one of them out. God was able to share with them through inspiration of scriptures. He brought things to their mind that they might understand who he truly was. And neither one of them ever lost sight of who God was. And neither should you. You are a believer. We have those times that we ask how long. Should lead us to a time of prayer. Should lead us to a time of praise. That we might literally go from perplexity to praise. Thank you for our time tonight. Let's thank God as we end our time. Father, we praise and honor you for who you are. Thank you for your great grace toward us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Now take your word. Help us to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you, that we might do the things that are pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name, amen.